1: You can take the... Since the you're not working. <laughs> yeah. Do you have yours on? Can you hear? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Then, I'm sorry, I'm then, then yeah, the... just keep an eye on the on the levels. You want to talk right into the mic? Testing yeah. one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Yeah. Sounds perfect. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: You're recording? I'm recording. Are you recording? I'm not recording. That's probably a good thing.
1: Malin Newton.
0: <laughs> Malin
1: Newton. Malin Newton. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Know you? He Fantastic. tends to sit down with us at almost every Tools event. Pretty happy about it. He's a smart cat. He's you know a that? smart cat.
0: Hey, hey, <laughs> let's see, you've been to Tools how many years now? This is my
2: third, maybe fourth.
0: Hey, do you? See, we, we were just talking when we got here. If there is a shift in the way the event feels, it feels bigger, it feels more concise, it feels more professional, there's more people here already, and the event's not even started yet. Man, it, it feels like it's really doing something this year.
2: Well, I I see improvements in a lot of areas. Yeah, you know, and in fact, Brett and I were just talking about you got to take every show you do and you learn from it, and you yeah. change the next one, so progressively it should every show should get better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: you know, there's you got to look at it from the perspective. I'm a speaker, so I and an exhibitor, so I look at it differently than an attendee does. Yeah, and you got to take in consideration you know, lots of people. Right. Because the speaker needs, wants, are very different than what the attendee needs and wants are. So I, I think they're doing a much better job than they have in the past of progressing this in the right direction.
0: I, I agree. And and I think we've seen, like, it's the, the, it's the most improvements we've seen in, in one year in most any show. I mean, That's all right. the shows are growing and getting amazing, and, and year after year they do better and better. But it seems like this year, this
1: one just... I mean, like, everything that you could have said in the past yeah, was like, Yeah, popped hey. quite a bit. Yeah. There, there was a remarkable difference. Because it, it was pretty much the same from the first time we came here. Yeah. Until last year. But this year, all of a sudden, like, the all the rooms are labeled. And there's a lot of activity around the booth. And they're handing out T-shirts. And it looks well-branded. Right. Yeah. That, that's a big difference.
2: Well, and from the speaker exhibitor side, we got things to post on our social media and things to share in our our emails and stuff yeah. that we didn't have, I think, in the past, at yeah. least not as professionally done. So it's hard for me to promote an event if I'm not given yeah. you know, the logos and the, for sure. the links and stuff. Definitely, that was an improvement.
0: Absolutely. And I've seen way more out there about mm-hmm. it. The, the, the social sharing was way improved. And, and you know, we just had somebody come in and he said, hey, if it hadn't been for, for listening to the show, I wouldn't have even known this was an right. event if I hadn't been in the Facebook groups. There's a lot of shops that don't know about these things. What One of the things that we always talk about is the fact that um, a lot of times there are shops right around an event that won't go to that event. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I think sometimes, I mean, there's so many variables, but they don't market in their core market area because they think everybody knows it. Yeah. So they go after, you know, the, the further distance yeah. a- attendees. And um, so they forget the groundworks of the 50 miles around yeah. the event. And in some ways, that's harder to do. Yeah. You know, but it, it's definitely a matter of, of the marketing needs to be, everybody has a voice, whether it be the magazines, the podcast, yeah. Uh, like myself, you know, we send emails out yeah. ad nauseum, and I don't mind putting stuff on there about events. But you got to get us the event information, and you have to get it in advance.
0: You're right, it can't be the day of the event. Well, I have to have it a month, two months, three months. There, there's yeah, a show coming a up out there.
2: in just a couple weeks. Yeah, and just before I left to come here, I got some stuff from them saying, "Oh, please mention us. We're yeah. ten days away from the event." Yeah. I'm going to be on the road, literally. I'm not going to go home before I go to that event. So there's not a lot I can do on the road.
1: Yeah. But yeah. if they
2: would have given it to me three months ago, four months ago, it would have gone out to thousands of yeah. different emails and pod, uh, um, social media posts and stuff. And w- one of the things I want to say, this is directed towards the attendees, Yeah. is the attendees don't understand what it takes to put a show on uh, like this. Oh, man.
1: Oh, man. You man. know,
2: they they start the day after this show. They start for next year, and they come and and something's just not perfect, and they're all up in arms about it. But I look at all the things that could go wrong that don't go wrong. It's kind of yeah. like you, you know you guys travel. So how many bags are in the air at any one time? Yeah, and your bags made it. Yeah, it's not the exception; it's the rule. And the show is the same way. You're going to have little hiccups. Yeah and when you think about the logistics of doing one of these like what you guys go through to just to get your podcast here yeah absolutely the, the fact you could forget one connector or forget one cable yeah you know the odds are great and when you do it professionally and you do it all the time you get very good at it and people take it for granted
0: yeah you know and i learned so much of that the more involved i became with aste right is as, is and and as an event Person, right? You're hosting these events, and you look back and you say, "Wow, nobody even noticed." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody even saw that we screwed that up, right. or it didn't hit the mark that we thought it should hit, and and we're over here freaking out about it. And right. and that freakout's part of what makes an event good, is because they're trying to stay in front of it, they're trying to stay on top of it, and and the more professional an event becomes, right, the more people who are involved with the event, and that that exponential growth you see in an event makes it better and better and better but it also opens more and more uh, doors for mistakes to happen and and things to blow up in your face that you didn't even realize were there
1: um well i think that what ends up happening a lot of times is that you get into a very much of a rut yeah the same like the same 10 things that happened at the last 10, 10 events that you went to the same 10 things happen because they get the same vendor, the same supplier, the same team. It's, it's the same, same, same. And you get some good consistency with the, with the show. But at the same time, you do hear that the, especially the shops that go to Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now. Click the link in the show notes to get started. Multiple years of that same event, they start to say, I don't know. Like, now now I, there's no reason for me to right. go back unless there is a marked difference in the presenters. But there has I was, to be. I was getting ready to bring that up. Yeah, they, so they have to look at the classes and they have to go, I haven't seen this person and this is an interesting uh, topic that I, I think we need to cover in the shop. That gives me a reason to go. But without that, just to show up, just to show up, because they they know they're going to get, you know, this is conference food, and this is when we're going to dinner, and this is a speaker, and this is the award show, and it ends up being very um, monotonous. We we were in a meeting the other day.
0: I'm not trying to kick the hornet's nest. I'm sorry. We were in a meeting the other day, and you said management training doesn't even, or, or owner training doesn't even need to be in an event. And you said because all the owners say, well, it's the same content over and over and over again. When when you hear me say that he said that, what do you
2: think? I think that's the industry view. But and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kick the hornet's nest too, okay, <laughs> a little bit, is that there are presenters out there that their stuff never changes. I mean, they've been presenting the same stuff for 35 years. Yeah. And that is a problem. You know. Speaking for my own world, me, I try to change stuff up. Mm-hmm. I try to make it, you know, time time sensitive. What's going on in the world today? And you've got like a
0: hundred and – I look through your class catalog. You've got like 150 classes. Are you just bored and sit around and make classes all day? Sometimes. <laughs> but
2: you know what really happens? <laughs> it, like I'm bored ever. I know, right? right? <laughs> so what, what – what typically happens is I sit and I listen to these shop owners at lunch or breakfast or whatever, and they go, man, I, you know, I don't know how to handle this. And it goes, hey, yeah, that'd be a good class. And so every year, I produce three or four new classes based on things that I've heard. And for example, I just wrote a class um, called Professionalism. Okay. And it's like, people look at me like, aren't we already professionals? No. No. Yeah. You know, not only are we as owners aren't, but we're not teaching our employees to be professionals. And if you don't believe me, just look at the people that come to the show—how they dress, how they act. And I'm not dinging anybody for this, but if we want to elevate our industry and become, you know, much higher thought of, yeah, then we need to step up our game. Yeah. You know, I do six or seven trade shows a year. You know, my trade show budget is about seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year. And I've gone to, for example, I'm going to the Automotive Transmission Rebuilders show, actually, yeah. on Nashville. Monday. Yeah, I'm going to that in Nashville. And there's been for years a guy who shows up there, it looks like he came off the build bench, covered in transmission fluid, and he comes to the event. Okay. That's what the people think of us, right? And we're perpetuating yeah. that by showing up in an event like that. I mean, you don't have to wear a sport coat and a tie, but you can change into clean clothes or you know have a uniform that says, I'm in training, you know when you when you bring that up, I have because
0: ASTA is the combination of the Independent Garage Owners North Carolina and the North Carolina Tire Dealers Association, and I saw a tremendous difference in the professionalism and the image presented by tire stores and standard repair shops. Now, one of the common things you hear coming from our industry is these guys, you know, they're like Jiffy Lube and they're just throwing junk together and they're not tightening drain plugs and, you know, all of these things. But there's a lot of these tire stores that kind of fit into that mold and they're way more professional than we are. Absolutely. Like substantially. And they they, they run a much tighter ship than we right. do. They know their financials. They And I don't know why it's such a difference between those two
1: things. In other words, like... They're the, operating on... on tiny margins you
2: Right. can't that's screw one of that
1: up and they have to go to at a certain pace and on these tight margins in order to make all the things work so now you're going to see three times the car count so the, you can't have a lapse in judgment or processes where we just didn't follow the process that time because then the wheel comes off somebody dies and if you think
2: about it most of the people own a tire store are business people first. They're not car nuts. Yeah, Most people in our industry are car guys. We are in the car business because we like cars, right? right? We're not business people. And this goes back to David's remark is, if you go around and you look at all the people in the management classes, most of the owners are in the technical classes because they think fixing the car is the most important thing. Yeah. Right? And it's not. It's running your business properly. I'm doing you know profit structuring, financial analysis, how to set your hourly rate. And most owners don't want to go to that because they don't want to think about having to change their rate or understand their numbers because they're not numbers people. They're car people.
0: Is that why and, you didn't put changing your hourly rate in the name of the class? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, I think the name of the class should be get yourself paid. Yeah. Come to this class. Yeah. but I, David pointed that out the other day. And, and he was
0: talking about um, – we, we're going to pick on him a little bit because he's our friend, but Brandon Dills. And he was like, nobody went to that class to see Brandon Dills. Nobody likes Brandon Dills. They went to that Whoa, class because it was a good name.
1: I didn't say nobody likes Brandon Dills. I just said nobody went there. He, he does have good name recognition. Something I've harped with, with him, on him about is leveraging that because he has a shop too, and he's trying to attract technicians. I don't think he's hired a one that knew anything about jarhead diagnostics. That's, that should be his appeal. It's like, Hey, come in and you're going to be part of this whole thing anyway. But I mean, the name of the class, the name of the class nailed it, killed it with the name of the class. It, It was like this massive hole. Nobody was talking about this one thing. And that's what he named the class. Hey, you know that thing that everybody wants to know, but nobody talks about that's what I'm naming the class. And it, he had 150, 60, 160, 160 people, people in a class, class. Yeah, insane. And it was a good class. I saw his. He sent me the slides, and I saw the slides, and I gave him some 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 suggestions on on changing some things up. But it's a good class. But, but he, there were a lot of good classes down there, Now all of them didn't have 160 people on them. Right. He killed it with that title. There's a there's a lot of problem also in in classes in general
2: that people think if they attend the class. They actually believe that old saying, knowledge is power. And and that's not true. It's implementation of your knowledge. Yeah. I mean, in this room, we have three very intelligent people. But if we don't oh, ever yeah. use our intelligence. Oh, they're down there. <laughs> they're in the shadows over there. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't ever use your intelligence, you don't gain anything from it. Yeah. So you go to a class and you go, ah, that's a great idea. And it dies right there. Or it gets written down on the pad of paper or on the notebook, and you go back and you get into the the fight of fixing the car or dealing with this fire or this customer, and you never implement that. And, you know, it goes back to what you were talking about, the trade shows, complacency. And a lot of these people will look and go, oh, hey, look, it's so-and-so talking. I've been to those classes before. Maybe that class has changed. Maybe the perspective has changed. So you can't just write it off because you've been to the class before because my classes change every time I give them. Yeah. And I spend a lot of time talking to owners. and I'm out in the field with owners and coaching owners. So what I used to talk about in this class is different today than it will be tomorrow, for example.
0: What what do you see as the biggest weakness for owners right now? Because, you know, one of the things when when we started doing the things in my shop – to fix it was that I thought that it was certain things that were wrong in the business. And I, you know, I talk to shop owners all the time and they like send me a message and you're like, I just need to fix this one thing, this one text, the problem in my shop. And that's why I've never been successful. Uh, I doubt it. Right. Let's look at the numbers. Right. And so you start looking in and it's never what they think it is. It's never. So what, when you look at all these shop owners, you talk to, what's the biggest thing that they're missing?
2: What's the biggest
0: mistake they make?
2: They're too busy fixing cars to run their business. They're worried about the wrong things. So you have to fully understand your numbers. For example, we pay money to get a profit and loss statement, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the history of what happened in the shop Mm -hmm. for that period of time. So last month, for example. They don't read it. They don't understand it. And in about 90% of the cases, it's wrong. And I'll tell you how. Just have this conversation with the shop. You got his P&L for the first I think nine months, maybe eight months. And so what he does, he goes to the net profit line, right? Mm -hmm. It says $128,000. He goes, I'm doing a good job. And I go, wait a minute. So this says you paid all your bills and you have $128,000. Do you have $128,000 in the bank? Well, oh my gosh, no. Then where did that money go between what you have in the bank and what this says you have? I don't know. That's the problem. Yeah. They are spending money that they don't know. And so, for example, in his case, he's paying bills that he can't tell me what the monthly payments are. But because the accountant's following the generally accepted accounting principles, they're not on his P&L. They're on his balance sheet. But every month he's making a $400 payment that comes out of that profit. The balance on his balance sheet changes, but it doesn't show up as money out, right?
0: And he doesn't even know there's a balance he, sheet.
2: He He doesn't. Yeah. It balances, yeah. Okay, wh- yeah. why does it balance? <laughs> right? Is it supposed to? And and, and to me, that's and I, I'm just like everybody else. I started out not knowing any of this, and you know the epiphany that hit me when I realized I got to understand the numbers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Then the second thing is you have to you have to have long term plans. You know, when I interview an employee, you know I will ask, "What are your five year plans, Lucas?" If you come to work for me, what are your five-year plans? Because I want to know if you're thinking further than Friday. Mm -hmm. How many employees have ever asked you when they applied for a job, Lucas, what's your shop's five-year plan? Where do you see yourself in five or ten years? You know, since we
0: started the podcast, because that's one of the things that we talk about, is like interview your your potential employer, right? Right. Since we've started doing that, the last three people that I've interviewed we talk about. You know, here's our five year plan. Here's our vision. Here's where we want to be, and they talk about where they want to be. I've spent this entire uh, trip up here talking to Ryan Deckert, who works for me, and Ryan's you know here with us today. And I've talked about like, hey man, what makes you happy, and and where where do you see yourself? And and it's interesting because some of the things we talked about, and I,
1: what's I mean, the, what's what's the obsession
0: with the happiness thing? I I've thought a lot about that lately. I know. I understand why. I want to know what what happy is for other people. I don't think we really know what happy is. I don't think anybody knows. I don't know. But I mean, I I think think they understand it. I think we just go through life and we have this idea that one day we want to be happy, but we don't know what happy is. We don't, for us, we've not defined happy. For us, we've not tried to achieve happy. We've just said, I'm not happy. I don't like this. Meh. Right, And so we've never taken steps to understand it. We've never really thought about it.
2: And it's a moving target because I'll be honest with you, at your age, my definition of happy is different than at my current age, Yeah, right? And at 16, happy was very, very different. Yeah. So that's why I'm a big believer in let's figure out where you want to be in five years and 10 years and 15 years and work towards that, you know. Um, I actually mentioned, I think, on a comment on the on one of the Facebook groups, it was about, you know, I've helped a lot of people buy homes because I've asked them, "What are you looking for? What's your long range plan?" Well, I want to own a home someday. All right, let me work with that and help you get that.
0: So you know that that was one of the things that Ryan mentioned. He wants to buy a home, and and I, I want to say this because I've got a question about that. One of the things that we talk about is we you know, we're coming up the road and he's like, well, I, I want to have kids. And, and so we talked about a lot of like my experiences and my parents had me when they were up in years, right? Like my, my parents are up in years now. And so I, I mentioned like, Hey, that was one of the things, like I always kind of felt like I got cheated. I didn't get as much time with mom and dad as my brothers did. You know what I mean? And like, I think about that with my son now, it's like, I'm a little bit older. I'm not as old as this gray haired thing, but, um, You know, I'm a little bit older now. And so when we had my son five years ago, it kind of hit me like, holy cow, I'm having him later. And hey, everyone, it's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. Doesn't cost you a dime. Life like my parents had me. And so that was one of the things. As we're talking about that, Ryan's like, "Holy cow! I never really thought about that." Like, I've decided I'm going to wait till I'm forty to have kids. Right. Well, that—that he say
1: forty? Yeah, he said forty. Interesting. That good. How old is he? He's a baby. Yeah, he's in his twenties. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so
0: that's not a bad thing, though. I don't think they, it's a bad say, thing. I think it's something to think about. The, we get these ideas in our head,
1: and we don't really yeah, truly vet it, them out. That's the. That's the. Um, the Guide to Wealth in America, and it? Um, wait to have kids until you're older, in a marriage. Well, there's, there's lots of reasons you should wait because they put
2: a tremendous strain on a marriage because they're 100% demanding, right? Yeah. 100% of your attention. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um,
0: David shared a little bit about how he does it. Let's say that an employee wants to buy a home, right? And they say to you, because that that's kind of like the American dream, right? Right. Malin, how do we go about starting that? Because I'm getting ready to try and do that with some of my employees. They want to buy a home. What, what's the first step as a business owner? And what's the first step for an employee we take?
2: Well, the first thing I would do is have a meeting with them and their spouse. Okay. Make sure they're on the same page. Okay. Because you need both of them behind it. And then what I've always done is is I've, you know, this, this is multi-pronged to me. We set our we set our minimum expectations. Let's say it's you, Lucas. I hired you. I set minimum expectations. Okay, right. This is this is how I know you're successful at your job. Minimum expectation. And then if you come to me and say, hey, I, you know, this is my long-term goal is to own a home, then I take those minimum expectations and I raise them, and I say, if you can achieve this expectation, then we'll take this much money and put an escrow account for you. So instead of giving them a bonus that they can waste on remote-controlled cars or beer or pizza, we just put it in an escrow account. That's their money. If they Mm -hmm. leave us, they can take it. Yeah. But I put it so they can't spend it. And then we, we can have several tiers to that. And then you send that paycheck stub home to the wife so they know that this pay period, you put $500 in the escrow account. Yeah. Because if you don't have them both on the same page, she's not gonna tell him, hey, go back to work, have fun. You know, I like what's going on here. Yeah. And and it's it's a lot of people get bonuses and they don't ever share with their spouse. Nor yeah, they do they got keep a bonus.
1: Them. Yeah. They spend it. Right. That's a that's a good idea. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Sounds like and a really good idea. Great minds going I like here. That, uh, <laughs> something like that. How do we how do you know we, here's the here's the issue though um so i've got one that that uh, rents a house for a chunk of money it's very expensive um but you know no wife no kids he doesn't plan to get married doesn't want any kids and i don't necessarily blame him but you still want to push that person towards towards some sustainability you're gonna have to own some real estate dude you can't like it's we're, we're dumping a lot of money into um a 401k and a roth ira he's got both right and they're, they're both funded but yeah there should be a little bit of chunk and it's almost like hey let's let's find you an investment property maybe a duplex cool. you stay in one side stop paying rent right and dump all that money into your retirement or double it up and pay down the mortgage and have your renter next to you pay your pay your mortgage for you. you don't have to worry about necessarily paying the rent. So, you know, we live in an area that is
0: expensive, right? <laughs> Sin- similar to your area, <laughs> expensive. Um, and so, yeah, you no, know... I don't know how no, 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 you doing in California. <laughs> I, just, I mean, rent, rent where <laughs> we're at for a two-bedroom house is $2,000 a month. Right? <laughs> That's a one-bedroom apartment in right. town. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, so you you take somebody, and, and I'll give you the perfect example, is George has long wanted to buy a house. And so how do you set realistic expectations, and when do you know? Like in George's case, George is older, and George has got debt, and George has got things that are coming his way. You know, his health is, is not what it should be. And so we've had some hard talks, and I've said, I, I don't know how feasible it is that you go buy a house. I'm not trying to tell you not to or to. Yeah, but, but I'm concerned like the, about the him. The whole
1: thing is whatever. He he needs to and the help thing he needs to get that managed for sure. But get out of debt and then buy him a house. Dude, that was that place in Tennessee you told me, Mountain something or whatever. Yeah. It's what 20 30 minutes away. That's where we live now. Yeah. The houses were hella cheap there. Yeah. It was crazy what you could $250,000 bought you a Flipping mansion on three acres. Right. And they don't have, like, is it, they don't have income tax? They don't have income tax there either. And it's just on the other side of the border. Like, you just have to drive. It's a little bit of a drive, but the money you would save. So now they it do, becomes, They do have a
0: little bit of an issue with Mexican Americans.
1: That's okay. I can deal with the Mexican Americans if I've got enough land around me. <laughs> if I got enough land. Dogs. Mindfree. Rabid dogs. Yeah. Rabid <laughs> dogs. Yeah. And guns. That'll take care of it. <laughs> well,
2: they they have to take some ownership of this, right? You can't yeah. fix his health; he's got to fix that. Yeah, and it's it's having those conversations, and you know, you bring up a good plan. So here's somebody. Maybe you buy the house as an investment property for yourself, and you give him subsidized rent in it as a reward or part of his bonus. There's this you can be very creative, but one of the things you need to do is you need to sit him down with a certified financial planner, and teach him budgeting and teach him, you know, because one of the things that I talk about with clients a lot is, it's like, what do you want? Well, I want to do this. Why aren't you doing it? I don't have the money. Let's talk about that. What can you give up? If you give up Diet Dr. Pepper and Bourbon, how much money would that save us a month? If you gave up eating out every day three times a day, how much money would that save you? Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Yeah, and I've got –
0: I've definitely got one who really worries about money and and unwilling to make
1: any sacrifice, wants to live a king's life and, and – There's nothing – no, hold on. There's nothing wrong with living the king's life. No. The, the problem, though, is that you're not happy with the king's life. Right. You want the king and the queen's life. It's like, dude, your budget, your income dictates this lifestyle. Correct. But – It but, is a fantastic lifestyle – But they keep pushing, and so now it's not. It's the it's the the whole. And and this, you know, there's something deeper there. But you know, you pick up a. a, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole here because whatever. Uh, I you buy a computer. I like to build them. They're fun. You put them together, and you want to see how they perform. So you put the thing together, and then like two months later, some new piece of hardware comes out. There was nothing wrong with what you just got, and I have to fight this all the time. There's nothing wrong with what you just got. You put it together, it's performing beautifully. It's doing extremely well. Some new piece of hardware comes out, and all of a sudden you somehow convince yourself that you need to go out and get it, and it's $1,000, $1,500. It's not cheap. Same thing with these stupid phones. Like. you have to go out and get the new phone. Oh, you know what? We're going to make this simple for you. Just pay $50 a month in perpetuity for forever right, right. on top of your plan. And you'll always be able to get your new phone. Well, that $50 a month, what could that do for you? Putting it away. Right. Especially S- if you're young, six if you're like year. 18 years. Yeah. 18 years old. Uh, how much is that going to build up over time? So the, you talk to any, anybody that's, move past the Dave Ramsey's. If you talk to any of the financial guys, they'll tell you that the number one wealth stealer in America, the number one wealth stealer in America is car payments. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just drive something cheaper. That's it. You don't have, it's not like you have to go drive, drive a jalopy, but the car payment can't be 700 to a thousand dollars a month because you have to have that F one fifty. but buy a, 7-year-old not for F150. Get yourself a nice Toyota. Get yourself a nice Toyota that's 7 years old that's $15,000, make $320 car payments a month car payments and put that extra 400 that you were going to pay to get that F150 into a retirement account and in 20 years you're going to be a flipping millionaire. And,
0: and and so here's the question about that though. Is is what did all the people say when we we had these conversations recently? And you kind of highlighted some of this, is they said, "Well, it's not fair for you to dictate." I'm not dictating. I know, I'm I, telling I'm, you what
1: other people are saying. I'm not even saying it.
0: Well, I, and I understand that. But so, as a shop owner, you know, you look at you look at these guys, and you somewhat kind of feel like, well, I don't feel like I have the right to say
1: that to them. They just don't work for you. I'm, I'm sorry. I feel I'm, like I, I'm drawing they, the line. In the sand. The, no, screw them. Screw them. All those. All the. All the. I want more and more and more and more and more. Because they're trying to fulfill some hole they have in their lives. I can't fix this for you, dude. I'm sorry. You know what the answer is, by the way? You keep asking all these people. You know what the answer is? What's the answer? Contentment. That's happiness right there. You appreciate contentment requires. I'm not talking about complacency. Don't mistake the two. Don't conflate them. I'm talking about contentment. You appreciate what you have in life. 100%. Whatever it happens to be. The littlest thing. It can't. It doesn't matter what it is. You, the, what Rick said was 100% right. We asked Rick what happened. To this, he said, I opened my eyes. At the it, very it, least, you're not dead. Yeah. I love and, it. And if you have a life changing experience,
2: your, your life changes because of that. Yeah. Right? When, when they tell you you're not going to have any more sunrises, it changes the way you think about things. And Absolutely. That's, that's part of the problem with today. We take everything for granted. That we have electricity, we have water, we have the ability to buy these cars. Right there, there's a great book out, by the way, called The Millionaire Next Door. Have either of you read it? Yeah, or uh, th- Tom Stanley. Yeah. Right, it's a great book, and it talks about what you're ranting about right now. Yeah. is it's a choice you make. You know, buy twenty thousand dollars of clothing a month, or put it in the bank and become a millionaire and not have to work ever again in your life. Well, I mean, I guess the the thing comes back
0: to though is that we we continue to experience people who say yeah but but that's not your right to tell me and I'm mad at you because you're not paying me as much as I feel like I should get paid.
2: Well again I want
0: this, I want that, and so does that is that what it comes down to like David said, hey, I'm sorry this just isn't the place for you.
2: Well, in my opinion, it's the minimum expectations. So if I if I set minimum expectations, Lucas, you're coming to me as a technician. You work 40 hours a week. I expect you to bill 40 hours a week. I'm going to pay you to do that. If you don't do that, I can't afford to pay you that. And I can't afford to pay you more than that unless you exceed that, right? Now it's in your hands. It's not mine, the employer's job. I'm providing the opportunity. You earn the money. I'm not giving you more money because you're here. I'm giving you more money because you're exceeding those
1: expectations. 100% pragmatic and very logical, yes. Now inject delusional human emotion emotion into it and all of a sudden you working 40 hours a week billing 40 hours a week and me paying you a sustainable and competitive salary is no longer enough now it's hey the market has changed i feel that my skills require that i be paid 10% more 20% more 30% more and they've convinced themselves of that right. okay great so they maybe maybe they go out into the market and they find some desperate employer who's willing to pay them that extra money. And it does end up being expectations. The expectation level, if I'm going to pay you this 20% more, is going to be 20% more at this other shop. Maybe, maybe it isn't. But they end up convincing themselves that what I'm doing now is not enough. Again, it's a lack of contentment. Right? No contentment and appreciation for their situation ends up being, uh, you end up with an unhappy employee. They're just not happy in that they're not content. This isn't enough for them. There's something more. Well, what does that more have to be? Like, what else do we need to get into? And here's the thing. Like, it's great that they want to improve, right? It's great that they want a little bit more money. I'm, I'm down for all that. I have no problem with that. It's the, when is enough going to be enough? And, and that that's really what it comes back to
0: for me as well is because we, we, the market has shifted in such a way that one has to ask themselves, is this sustainable, right? Because there's a lot of shops out here. You know, we were talking about dealerships the other day. Somebody brought up to me. He said, I'm going to tell you. He said, I, I work for a large corporation and we have over 250 dealerships. And he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, yeah, did we raise our technician salary our technician pay? He said, we absolutely did. He said, but I can promise you one thing. If it gets slow, if we lighten up, those expensive technicians are gone. All right. And he said those promises, he said, our promise is to our shareholders. Our yeah. promise is to that bottom line. And he said, I can promise you right now that, that come hard times, those people, they, they've asked for a lot, and they want a lot, and they demand a lot. And for that, we are going to demand a lot of them. Yeah. And the moment that, that this, this comes with, what was it you told me about CEOs? I was talking about CEOs, and I said, oh, my gosh, they make all these hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said, yeah, but look at what they give up. They give up a family. They give up sustainability. They give up security. They give up all of these factors of life. And he said, so that's what they're getting paid for because they can't, they can't live a normal life like everybody else. As a CEO of a Fortune 500 company right. of a big company, and so that's kind of what this guy was hinting at was that, look, you want big boy pay, you're going to deal with ba- big that, boy that's risk. That's my
1: frustration. I, I, the these some and not I, this is probably just that one percent of technicians, but you know it's the loud ones. They they get this idea that hey, it needs to be six figures, it needs to be all this. And it's like, it's just like you're saying, like, hey, we're moving into big boy pay now. That's going to require a level of performance and sacrifice that you have never had to do mm-hmm. or put up with ever. And all of a sudden, now you're moving into this this whole other world here that I don't think you're prepared for. You think you are. Yeah. You're not. It's cutthroat. It's and cutthroat. you also have to remember that your employees think you're
2: rich.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because you own a business, right? Yeah, the Laura they, Lee and Eric Schmidt story. Yeah. They they have no clue what it takes to run that business. And we're so afraid of explaining to them what it takes that they, they actually live in a fantasy world that if you're charging X number of dollars, let's use round numbers, $100 an hour, and they're getting paid $30 an hour, that you're pocketing 70 What they don't understand is you're actually pocketing 3 You, you know, you... What's wrong?
0: There's something flashing on here. Yeah, it's telling you that you didn't empty the hard drive. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Uh, So what do you do do with somebody who's mired down in the muck in the mire, right? And and what I mean by that is what do you do with somebody who, you know, because there's shop owners out there who have wonderful people they care about, they love them very much, and they they want the best for them, but they also recognize that you've got this person in here who – and, and the fear is, because I've talked to lots of shop owners in this spot, is the fear is, is that they are going to become more and more toxic because they've come right. up in their mind and they feel like you've done something wrong. They feel like they deserve something that they're not getting. They feel like this isn't okay. What do you do with somebody? Because you, you, everybody from the outside looking in can see it, right? They can see like, oh my God, you, you're living a very egregious lifestyle and you're blowing all your money. And you're doing all of these things, yet you're mad at everybody else in your life because it's not working. In, in some ways, that kind of comes back to a mental illness. I don't want to say mental illness, but that comes back to a be it depression or whatever it is. How do you deal with that? And is it's not necessarily our responsibility to deal with, but there's a lot of shop owners who they're in that situation. They say, well, I just can't let him go. I just can't pay more. Well, what's my solution?
2: Well, first of all, I think part of our problem is we don't communicate well. We don't talk to them about this stuff. You know, think about how many shop owners you know that have a toxic employee, and you ask them, "Have you had a sit down with them?" No, it doesn't do any good. Or, "Yeah, I did ten years ago." Yeah. You know, I I think it boils down to we have to become leaders, not bosses. We need to become leaders and provide help. Okay. In in whatever way you can, but you also have to remember, you know, Lucas, your problems are your fault. There's only so much I can do to help you. Yeah. So you know, you talk about big boy pay. Well, put on your big boy pants and take responsibility for who the hell you are and why you're that way and fix it.
0: But but society today does not want to do that. I understand no. that. Yeah. And
2: and that's, that's part of acceptable. our
0: problem. But I mean, how, how what do we as shop owners we face that every single day? How do we deal with talk,
2: it? talk 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 communicate communicate communicate? I Sit I down have with to them.
0: find
1: different employees.
2: <laughs> and, and and that's that is a solution. I'm sorry. And that's why, you know, my mantra is recruit year round, replace your weakest link. <laughs> Excuse me. So I'm always recruiting. And if you have a toxic attitude, and that I call them unicorns in my book, if the unicorn walks through the door, I'm hiring them, you're gone. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't become friends with you. This is business to me. And, and but see the, that, that part's hard. That that is, plus, that
1: is I hard. Am, get it.
0: And and we've talked many times about that ruthlessness, and and some very successful business owners require some level of ruthlessness that that David and I have talked about. Do we even have that? And and so I guess the question then becomes: like, I, I care about my team, and I want to I want to be present with them, and I want to engage with them, and I want to be able to talk with them. And I want to do what's best for them. So if I care about them at that level, because, you know, one of the things we talked about two-week notices in a video a while back, and they said, well, would you would you give an employer a two-week notice? And they said, well, no, because they wouldn't give us one. Well, I mean, to me, it's almost like a common layer of respect. I mean, how do we – because I want to be
2: good to people. We all want to be good to right. people. How do we blend that? Well, Respects a two-way street, right? So let me ask you this. I'm your employee. Every day you have to reach in your pocket and take $500 out because I don't do my job. Every day. How long would you do that? Mm, not very long. That's crap because you do. Because mm-hmm. you don't think about it like that, right? First, why are we in business? To be friends with employees? Do you really want... All those people, right, if if they're costing you money every day. And it's not ruthlessness. It's about the purpose. And it's not about you and $500 to you. How many people do you employ, Lucas? I've got nine in my show. Okay. So when one person screws up, it affects those other eight people plus you and your family, right? Because it prevents them from getting what they could get. Exactly. So are you ruthless because you're protecting 12 other people? Or are you ruthless because you're allowing somebody to affect them? You know, because I get called, and that's, it's actually, I get told, you're a cold, callous bastard. No, I'm a business owner, and I have to look out, not just for myself, but all of my employees. And don't you have to look out after your clientele? Because if that employee has a bad attitude and doesn't do a good job and they break down someplace, it costs you money, it damages your reputation. But it damages that family's vacation, for example. Who's ultimately your responsibility to? I and
0: I, I think that's something that we often because we're we're so close to our staff, we we can't see the forest for the trees. Yes. It's hard to see that. It's hard to correlate that because we deal with that employee every single day. We talk to them every single day. They don't we don't look at them as employees, we look at them as family or we look at them as people first. And I think that's a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. Absolutely. And so we got. I think to find the difference
1: a- has to be though the the employee has to buy into that that mindset, that mindset that that owner has to have. The I'm ju- I'm not just protecting the company. I'm protecting all the other employees and all of their families and the the sustainability of the entire business. It means that they can continue to get paid and that everybody is is okay. You screwing up is affecting everybody. Okay, that's the owner's mindset. There's n- no reason why the employee, especially if you make everything if everybody wins within the shop, if everybody wins within the shop, there's no reason why that that same mentality can't permeate throughout the entire organization. It's not just the sh- the shop owner's sole mindset. It's every employee in the in the organization understands I have to make sure I'm holding up my weight right. because it's not just me I'm looking out for. I'm looking out for the shop owner. I'm also looking out for the service advisor. I'm looking out for that fellow tech that's on the other bay for me. Like we're all in this together. But finding somebody like that is like a dude said in the the one at Ratchet and Wrench. He's like, dude, you're talking about a, a tenth of a 1% of people. I call them unicorns. Yeah, but when you you ask a shop owner for a unicorn, it's like, oh, that's a guy that can diagnose anything in seventy that. hours. <laughs> but
2: but like, you <laughs> see, that's that's really the problem with our industry, because we are so fixated on the mechanical thing that we do. We forgot it cover. You know, the mechanical thing is a small percentage. As an owner, we're covering you know ninety other things, right? But we're so fixated on fixing the car. And we're not fixated on getting paid to fix the car. We're getting fixated on, pay, you know, fixing the car. We don't get paid. We can't afford the people. We You know, I, do you know how many owners tell me, I, I don't want to pay any employee more than I make? Then you should make more money. Think about that. And we we put together a class called Business 101 for Employees just to explain to employees what it takes to run a business. And and to be honest with you, it doesn't help when when an owner comes in and says, "Hey guys, look at the new 150 mile an hour bass boat I bought." Yeah,
1: you know, and it's that's part of the problem too. It's
2: you know, look at all the toys I have, and the employees I'm I'm busting my hump for you. And
0: and how much of that though, right? Because what what the employee doesn't realize is that there's a lot of dumbass owners out there (laughs) who, because they have a S corp or a pass through corp, and they have all of this. Income can now go to the bank and borrow
2: money that they can't afford to yeah. pay back <laughs> and buy well, the bass boat. Well, that's something I actually tell the employees. I said, you know, just because the boss has things, this means he's in debt. It doesn't mean he has money. Yeah, you know. But and there's
1: then, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the guy that just keeps pulling up in bigger and bigger bass boats and bigger and bigger trucks. And hey, I need an oil change on this because I'm taking it out for the weekend. Flips the keys to the tech. I don't. I don't. I don't have a problem with that guy. That guy can employ all the texts that can't work for me. That are, hey, I need another raise. Hey, I need to make a hundred thousand. Hey, I need this giant toolbox. Hey, I want to have a bass boat too. And uh, the the one guy that was uh, commenting on on our podcast episode, um, he he did not like what I was saying <laughs> at all. Really? He listens to every podcast episode. It seems like oh yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude did not like what I was t- talking about hey it's not he he had the perception that we were trying to control what the tech what the technicians were spending their money on and it's not necessarily that but it's it's that mindset I don't have a problem with that cutthroat but those employees that are like I'm gonna get mine I'm not gonna give them a notice because that guy's giving me a dollar more an hour I'm gonna bounce tomorrow those employees can all work for, for that shop right the ones that are like hey let's let's pull this together let's all win it's everybody has a different skill set so it's super super hippie communist (laughs) hey socialism works in really really small settings a family socialism works within a family it just doesn't work in a country that's all i'm saying (laughs) thank you for being here
2: (laughs) thank you guys and uh we could sit here all day, but I have to go teach a class. Yeah. yeah. But I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate the conversations that your podcast has started. Yes, sir. And, um, you know, your, your influence on the industry and getting people to events like this um, and making them think differently. Because I think that's part of what we need to do. Complacency is killing us.
1: Yeah. And thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.